Y'all keep showing up, which amazes me for these long lectures. <laughs> Boy, when I said, oh, I'm going to do Ephesians, that I was so excited. And then I realized, I don't know what I was thinking, because it's pretty impossible to do a chapter a week. And y'all have been, I know it must be grueling to sit there. I'm, gonna try, I'm trying to shorten them, so I hope that works. Ooh, Vicki's shaking her head no. Good. <laughs> I really am trying. I, I just, I, I think, oh, I'm going to kind of just do it like an overview. And then I get so, every truth is like, well, I can't, it'd be like a, a, a bucket of jewelry, like diamonds and rubies and emeralds, and you were going to give it away to somebody you loved, and it would be like, well, I can't leave the diamond brooch out. I mean, you know, I can't leave the, the five-carat diamond ring out. So that's how I feel about this treasure in Ephesians. I don't know if y'all are feeling like I am, but it's, Wow, I, ju I just, I don't know, it's just amazing. And I'll tell you something else that has hit me. I don't know if this is hitting y'all in any way, but it's really hitting me. When, when we take verses and we memorize them or learn them or, you know, concentrate on, say, 10 verses in a chapter, well, that's great. But when you look at the whole book and you immerse yourself in it, every the insight that you get is completely different. It would be like getting a long text message, but you're only going to read three sentences of it. You know, you miss, you miss some of it when you're not reading the whole book and get the entire picture that God is trying to give you. So I have really benefited. I hope, uh, hope you all are too. If y'all could silence your cells or turn them off, that would be great. And please, I know this is long, so feel free to get up. Literally, you could walk right in front of me as I'm speaking, and it wouldn't phase me. I, it, I'd I don't even think I see it half the time. I'm just totally immersed in what I'm saying. Um, in the bathrooms, you can just go right through that door right there um, to make it easy. So today, we're going to open with Ephesians chapter 3. I've been wondering if, if something horrible happened in America, which I bet it will one day, and you could only have one book of the Bible, which book would it be? And, and I'm going to say Ephesians for me. <laughs> I think you could share the gospel with Ephesians. You would have how to live your life through Ephesians. You would have armor through Ephesians. I just think it has everything. I just, I love it. So in verse 1, let me read... Um, Chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Let me start here. So let me just, let me just recap real quickly. So in, in chapter 1, we're told, Paul is telling us, you are blessed and you're chosen and you're loved and you're adopted and you're redeemed and you're forgiven. There was this magnificent mystery that the Gentiles would be saved. That's you and me. It wasn't just the Jews. God had a plan for us. And now this mystery has been revealed. And so Paul is saying, and I want, Paul ends with a great prayer. I want you to understand this. Pray. I'm going to pray that you really grasp your salvation and your inheritance and your calling. This is magnificent is basically what he's saying. And I really want you to get it. Not just sort of like, yeah, okay, that's good. But really like, wow, he wants you to really understand it. And then in chapter 2, if you remember last week, we talked about, Paul talks about who you were before you were in Christ. You were separated. You were without hope. You were without God. You were in darkness. It was, and we need to remember we discussed that last week. Not remember your sins. Well, I do remember them occasionally. I'm sure you do. 
and they're hideous. But basically what he's saying is, I want you to remember your nature. We use the example of a rattlesnake. The only good snake is a dead snake in Texas. You're born with that uh, information, by the way, in Texas. And um, especially a rattlesnake. And they're, they're just awful. If you saw one, you wouldn't wait to see if it was going to bite you. You would pull your gun out if you have one. And we all do in Texas. I'm just kidding. Um, but um, just joking. Um, but you would kill it. And if it had little babies and you could see, oh my gosh, all these little babies are being born, little wiggly worm looking things, you would kill them too. They haven't done anything, but what's their nature? Their nature is, is poisonous and murderous. They're going to kill you if they bite you. So you're just going to kill them. Well, that's, that's us. Remember, you have a sinful nature. You may not have bitten anybody yet, but it's only a matter of time because that's your nature. You're a sinner. So Paul is saying, remember that. And we talked about if you don't remember who you were without Christ, you probably won't have this magnificent appreciation for who you are in Christ. And so we want to remember who we are. And so today, Paul is, he starts out with, for this reason, in other words, um, because you were blessed in Christ and because you at one time weren't blessed in Christ and because of this great ministry, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Do we... <laughs> If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand that my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of man, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the, to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. So Paul is the captive, in verse 1, the captive, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. Verse 6 tells us what that means. To be specific, the Gentiles, that's you and me, are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. In verse 2, Paul says that God gave him this stewardship. That is, God wanted Paul to manage... God's gift of grace for the Gentiles. He's the manager of grace to give grace to us. Verse 3 said, This mystery was a revelation made to Paul by Jesus himself. <clears throat> we don't know what that looks like, but Jesus, did he appear? Did he speak? We don't know. Galatians 1, 11 through 12. Galatians 1, 11 through 12, Paul says, But I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but by a revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, Paul repeats that he was made a minister to the Gentiles by God's grace and power, a power that made him capable and able 
Just over and over, we're seeing it's grace, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. Verse 8, <laughs> I love you, Linda. Uh, verse 8, Paul declares himself to be the least of all the saints due to his persecution of the saints. God called a man who killed Christians to bring life to Christians. Now, how cool is that? What does that show us about God, about his nature, about his kindness, about his mercy, about his grace? This shows us everything about God, everything about us, and it should give us hope. What, what's your past? I, ta I told you last, year, last week my, my testimony of how I came to know this magnificent grace that God offers. Lisa, Kathleen, and I were laughing this morning about our past and all that we've done and how she was giggling last week, and I was loving it because only a, a fellow sister from dysfunction understands <laughs> that craziness and why we can laugh now because we have grace right it gives us hope we have a magnificent God who uses these these crazy people to bring his truth to other crazy people <laughs> oh, verse 8 Paul uses the word grace for the third time just in eight verses verse 2 Paul was the steward the manager of God's grace verse 7 Paul was the minister of the mystery by God's grace. And in verse 8, grace was given for him to preach. It's all about grace. Our entire lives are about grace, not works. Not works. Not our abilities or our powers, but his. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, uh, he makes it so clear that it's not about him. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything is coming from us but our adequacy is from God he, he's very clear on where his adequacy comes from it is God I know it comes my gift of teaching comes from God there's absolutely I have no illusions about that once again it's all about Jesus not Paul it's all about Jesus not us and and these verses should make us pause and ponder these things we the Gentiles are so blessed to be the recipient of God's grace, the beneficiaries. Grace, again, to define it, and remember my definitions are always from the Greek unless I tell you it's from the dictionary. Uh, grace is the absolutely free expression of the loving kindness of God to men. If you are remembering what we're talking about each week I hope the one the things that you recall to mind are God's character his loving kindness the free expression of his loving kindness these things should just penetrate our souls and it his character him his person should absolutely change us I know it's changing me we are the object of this ministry the beneficiary of it Paul is now in, a, in the third chapter, in the first chapter, he brought up the, minute, the mystery. In the third chapter, he's bringing up the mystery. He's, want, he's making a point. This, is, this mystery is really important. And we are the beneficiaries. We should be staggered that, that this is about us. We're the ones that are blessed and chosen and loved and adopted and redeemed and forgiven and loved and lavished with grace. That's in verse chapter 1. 
We're the ones, along with the Jews, who benefit from this magnificent salvation. It's magnificent. Verse 8, Paul describes our magnificent salvation as the unfathomable riches of Christ. That means it's impossible to search out or to be traced out. It's not like a piece of property. I don't, we, li- we have two acres, and we have little, um, what do they call those marker things? They're stakes. They, there's little stakes and little metal pins that, you know, this is your property and this is not your property. If, you can't mark out Jesus, those unfathomable riches. We're going to spend a lifetime learning now, and we should pour over his word to find that out, but we're going to spend eternity enjoying it. I just... We cannot wrap our human heads around this, but we sure should try. We should be overwhelmed by it. Jesus is so huge, so magnificent, so complex that we really cannot fully measure his, the riches of his perfections on this, in our human state. What if Bill Gates died? It's announced on the news, Bill Gates has died. About two weeks later, you get a letter, an official letter, maybe a phone call, and some guy is saying, is this Debbie Dittrich? Um, Yeah, it's Debbie Dittrich. Um, Do you know Mr. Gates? Uh, I know of Mr. Gates. You know he died two weeks ago. Yeah, I know that. Well, we need you to come to the estate, the reading of the estate. Uh, Debbie Dittrich, Nathrop, Colorado? Yes. You're 66, right? 16897 Falcon Drive. Yeah. Well, we want you to show up. We're sending a private plane for you. Okay. And you get to that, whatever it would be, a board room or something. And he says, this is the estate of Mr. Bill Gates. And he leaves everything to Debbie Dittrich. Everything, or what if it was Lisa Kethley or Bobby Deckard? What, can you, I mean, how, how could you wrap your head around that? The entire estate goes to me. How did he even know me? Why would he do that for me? To give me this lavish inheritance, why would he do that? What if you were digging in your yard, you were planting some trees or bushes, and you just were digging out there one day, and you hit something hard with your shovel, and you, you keep digging, and it just, you keep hitting hard things, and it's a, it's a treasure box. And you managed to lift it out. What if it took a crane to lift it out? You had to call Harold Bristol and get him to pull it out with his little thing he has. I don't even know what you call it. A piece of equipment. <clears throat> and then you, you get it open, and it's filled with gold. You're, you're now really rich. But on top of this gold is a piece of paper, a document, And it says, this treasure here is not just some random treasure. It's for Debbie Dittrich. Wouldn't you be shaking your head going, who the heck did this for me? What? What is this all about? It says, says, Laura Lovelady. Or Amy, and I don't know your last name. But what, what if it was your name that was on this treasure? Ladies, that's what our salvation is like. That's why Paul prayed in chapter 1. I I pray that you would come to understand the love of Jesus. You've got to get this. See, we've got to get what this treasure is. I'm going to tell you a story. This was in 2004. Some of you have probably heard it. We had an old Suburban that was so lovely. (laughs) It was... 
It was at one time navy blue, and now it was sort of splotchy. It had like gray measles, you know, because the paint was coming off. And Laura and her husband said, you know, this is really uh, pathetic, and you need a new car. And we said, well, we can't afford a new car. And Mark said, well, I, you need to paint it or something. And he said, so I'm just going to spray paint it for you with truck bed liner. So then our entire Suburban was now black sprayed on truck bed liner, which just in case you're ever pondering doing that to your car, it is a great anti-theft. Uh, <laughs> I have to de deviate for one second. So I'm driving around in my 1989 Suburban with a million miles on it. And <clears throat> I went to do a retreat. I parked it at Love Field in Dallas, you know. So I come back, get in my car, it's late, you know, I don't know, on a Sunday, and I'm tired. <clears throat> so this little Indian guy, you know, I'm giving him my ticket from the parking thing and paying him. And he goes, what is your car? It's very, very special. Very, very special. And I just wanted to go, ah, <laughs> you know, just, just, but I thought, oh, that's going to embarrass him. And I went, thank you. You know, I'm just, just choking it down. And he said, what is it? What is this very special page? We were all looking at your very, very special car. And I said, I could just picture a bunch of little Indian guys going, ooh, ooh, look at this, look at this. Ooh, it's scratchy. <laughs> that just cracks me up. And I said, it's, it's spray on truck bed liner. And he went, what, what, what is it? Truck bed, what, what? It, this is, I just could hardly speak. So you get the picture of this car. <clears throat> you had to see it to appreciate the car, right? And so I get a call one day. And this guy, I picked up the phone. Gary, one of those things where your husband picks up the phone at the exact same time. So he was listening as I was talking. I could hear him on the line. He didn't say anything. And um, this guy said, is this Debbie Dittrich? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, um, I have a delivery. We, we have a delivery to make to you today. And I said, Okay. He said, is your address, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah. He knew my address. He said, I'm just going to come straight down Northwest Highway and turn here and do this. I mean, he knew exactly where I was. I said, yeah. And he said, that's right. And I said, yeah. And he said, okay, well, we will be there in about 30 minutes. I said, okay. I said, well, what? I don't understand what this is about. And he said, well, you'll, you'll find out, but I can't tell you right now. And I'm like, that's really weird. So I asked Gary, I said, what, do you know what's going on? And he said, no. I don't know what's going on. And I said, well, what, what is a we deliver? I mean, you know, a person would deliver flowers or something, but what is a we deliver? He specifically said we. I thought, that is just bizarre. So I see this car drive up. Only one person gets out, and they have a briefcase. And I thought, okay, what's going on here? There's not a we. Am I being sued? What's the deal? So we open the door. My husband and I, so I'm, there's a wall behind me, and he's, he walks in the door. We're standing right in the entryway, and he was so nice. Uh, I told this story once before. It turned out this man is Angie Tingle's cousin, I mean, for those of you who know Angie Tingle, which is bizarre. Isn't that funny? And he was so kind, and he said, Hi, Debbie, I'm um, Lance Lane, which doesn't that sound like a made-up name to you? It did to me, too. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, Lance Lane. Isn't that funny? Oh, I'm Lois. How are you? Um, anyway. <laughs> oh, isn't that funny? I haven't had a lot of sleep. I get really weird when I'm tired. Um, and so anyway, so he says, um, someone loves you very much, Debbie, and they, they want to give you a, a gift. So I'm here to give you the keys to, to your brand new 2004 
Lexus. And I backed up against the wall. Thank God it was just right behind me. And I said, I, I couldn't touch him. I, I said, I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. And he said, well, there's really nothing to understand. It's a, it's a free gift. And I said, I know, but I can't. I mean, my head, I couldn't wrap my head around it. It was like, what, this, this makes no sense to me. And I said, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no I can't even pay taxes on that. I don't know what you're, why you're doing this. I just kept backing up to the wall, you know. He said, well, there's really nothing to understand. It's a free gift. And I said, but I don't understand. And he said, I must have said that five times. He said, well, why don't you come outside and let's look at your new car and I'll show you all the features of it and we'll drive it. And I bet you'll understand then. I kept, all I kept saying is I just don't understand. But I, I did after a few hours of driving it and I looked so fine in that car. Um, I began to grasp the reality that this was a gift. I still don't know who gave it to me. I still have the Lexus. Um, that's an amazing gift. That's an amazing gift. I still shake my head at it, but our salvation. In fact, let me just be honest with you. The next morning I got up, Gary was still asleep, and I opened the garage door. You know the new car smell? Yeah, it's magnificent. I opened the garage, and I could just, you know, it just hit me in the face, that smell, that magnificent smell. And I just stopped and said, Lord, this, it doesn't even have a scratch on it or a, a piece of dirt or there's nothing. There's not even a raindrop drop on, you know, a little mark on there. It's perfect, but it's t today, starting today, it's just going to decline and decline and decline and decline. It'll, it'll be all, you know, beat up one day. I'll be wishing it was gone one day. But uh, my salvation, this is an honest truth to you. I said, God, my salvation far exceeds this car. And it will never decline in value. It will never have a mark or anything awful about it. I will never want to get rid of it or exchange it for something better. It is the best. That's ours, girls. We have this magnificent salvation that God ordained, and he didn't pick our name out of the hat. Nobody picked my name out of the hat for that, Lexus. There's things about that car that were very specifically ordered, you could tell, for Debbie Dittrich. I had a new grandchild coming, and they had this thing that, the screen that you, you push a button, and the screen comes up on the back window so that I, if you had a little baby in the back seat, which I was, one was due any day now, that that little baby would be shielded from the sun. That car was specific for me at that point in my life. And our salvation is specific for you and you and you and you and you. And it's magnificent. And it's a treasure. It had your name on it. We found out in week one, you're chosen. Chapter one, what is it? Verse four, I believe. That word means preference given by the one chosen for the one chosen with an emphasis on a relationship, and the choice was made out of many other possible choices. This salvation was prepared before God even made the universe for you. For you. Oh, isn't that amazing? And it was prepared so that we could receive the unfathomable riches of Jesus. Just like the man told me to come outside and look at my Lexus so that I could understand what was happening, could understand the gift, Paul is reiterating these things about the mystery so we might look at our magnificent salvation so we might understand the unfathomable riches of it. Verses 9 and 10, let me read those. 
Paul says, uh, just to go back up to eight, that he's preaching the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Paul is talking about the mystery so that we might understand the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold is wisdom that abounds in variety. It's intricate and complex. Do you remember week one we talked about being chosen and predestined and yet we know uh, our salvation is by grace through faith. So, oh my gosh, it makes my head spin. So we talked about it being like a dessert in a trifle dish, the glass trifle dish. It's got all the different layers. It's multifaceted. It's intricate and it's complex. You know, which is it? Is it predestination? Is it faith? I, I don't know and I don't really, I don't care. You might care. So, so study up on it and figure out what you believe. I just believe it's all in there. I believe it's all in a dessert dish and it's all marvelous and magnificent and then I cannot wrap my head around it, but it is magnificent. And so to whom did he make it known? Whom did God make this mystery known? Not only to us, but also, what? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. By whom? The church. That's you and me. Who are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? Those are angelic beings, both the good angels and the fallen angels. They learn about God's manifold wisdom from us as they observe us. Now, isn't that just, it's amazing. I'm going to give you some other verses that give you a little more insight into this. 1 Corinthians 11.10, 1 Corinthians 11.10. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. They're observing us. 1 Timothy 5.21 I charge you in sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. It's 1 Timothy 5.21 so there's things that are done that also include the angels. 1 Peter 1.12. 1 Peter 1.12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Angels long to look into these things that we just talked about. This magnificent treasure based on the manifold wisdom of God, the question is, do you long to look into these things? Charles Spurgeon says, Oh, be not, ye converts, ignorant of the word of God. Be not oblivious to the operations of God in your own soul. The angels desire to look into these things. Do you look into them? I don't know about you, but this study has so just grabbed my heart, soul, mind about my salvation and the treasure of it and how magnificent it is. Like the Lexus, come look at your salvation so that you understand it. 
verses 11 and 13. This was in accordance with the eternal, this meaning our salvation. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Through Jesus, we have boldness, which means freedom to speak to God and confident access, meaning we can approach God with confidence. When I was a little girl, I grew up in a religion that I never felt that I had confidence to approach God because I never knew if I was in sin or not. And I was taught, if you're in sin, God's never going to hear you. And you may go to hell if you die. It was always this, I wanted so badly to get to God. And I do have that confidence now through Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't want the um, Ephesians to lose heart. In verses 13, he says, Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they're for your glory. Paul was imprisoned, and he didn't care. He, he counted it all joy that he could be in prison and yet preach to the Gentiles. That was his great gain because he knew what he was giving to the Gentiles, to the Ephesians. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Let me just read that. This gives you a little insight into Paul's thoughts about his suffering. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, my chains for instance, but at things which are not seen, for things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, they are eternal. That's Paul's attitude. And lastly, verses 14 through 21, we have one of my all-time favorite prayers. We had the other one in chapter 1, and now we have this one. I just, I love this prayer. I remember if you attended the prayer lectures that we can pray the scripture for people. And this is a specific passage that I love to pray for people who are not saved. I think it just has all the elements that one would want to pray for those who are not saved. Let me just read it to you. For this reason, what's the reason? Well, the mystery that was entrusted to him, the salvation that God is offering to us through Christ. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, and you could put somebody's name in there, that he would grant John, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in John's heart. Do you see how I'm doing that? You could pray that. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, love this part. To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. 
just love that prayer. Isn't it just, oh, wow. So Paul is praying that God would make the Ephesians strong with his power. Remember, that's an achieving power, making them capable and able. I just love those words. We're reminded again that it's all about Jesus. He will strengthen them through the spirit in their inner man, that is their soul, their spirit. Paul is asking that they'd be strengthened through the spirit so that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. That's verse 17. The word dwell, this, I love this word. It means that Christ is permitted. Ooh, there's a word for you. That Christ is permitted to take up full, there's another word, residence by his spirit in the hearts of Christians. I think I probably need to repeat that. The word dwell means that Christ is permitted by you and me, ouch, to take up full residence by his spirit in the hearts of Christians. If my heart or your home heart were a literal home, a literal dwelling place, would I invite Jesus to take up full residence in my home? He gets to go anywhere he wants, do whatever he wants in my house. That is my heart, my very self. Would I let him throw anything he wanted to out? Would I let him rearrange things? Just picture a guest in your home when you wake up, and you're gonna get breakfast go ready and the coffee going before the other guest gets up. But one of them's already awake and he's in your pantry with the trash can moved over there and he's just tossing stuff and reorganizing it. Wouldn't you go, I, I would just be, I'd be angry. I'd just be thinking, I may not say it, but I'd be thinking, who the heck do you think you are? I'm sorry, that's my pantry? Those are my spices that are five years old expired and I get to throw them away or not. That's my choice, right? <laughs> My granddaughter always checks the expired days on stuff in my house. Um, I'm glad I don't have an expiration date on my rear end. Or maybe I do. I don't know. <laughs> but can you imagine a guest doing that? Is Jesus just a guest in your home, in your heart? Do you just tolerate him? But that really, if, if it were really known, you would really just want him to stay out of your everything day-to-day -day life. You know, he's there, but let's don't talk much to him. Let's don't ask him what he thinks. Let's don't give him full permission to do anything he wants. The key word there is my. Do I consider my life my life? Or is my life his life? Have I not died with him? Galatians 2.20, what a scripture. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives dwells in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for me. Some questions to think, which are on your handouts. Do I restrict Jesus from having full access to me because of my whims and my feelings? For instance, if you were angry and you read in God's word or someone told you, you need to forgive, would you think, I don't think so. I could never do that. I don't feel like that. I just don't, that's just not me. Or do you say, yes, Lord, you can have full access to me. 
Do you restrict Jesus from having full access to you by demanding that your will be done rather than his? And these are written out for you on your sheets of paper. Do I restrict Jesus from having full access to me by my irregular desires and worthless temptations? That was last week we talked about the world. And the world is full of irregular desires and worthless temptations. Ugh. Paul prays that the Ephesians would be rooted and grounded in love. And that is um, in verse, also in verse 17. The word rooted means firmly fixed and constant, strengthened by roots. For example, a tree could not stand up, you know, be upright or even stay alive without roots. It has to have roots. Grounded in love means to establish a foundation. This means that we should have roots that just sink down deeply into his love. Those roots should be our very foundation, the very basis for all that we do and believe. And that, that foundation is love, his love. His love for us, our love for him, and our love for each other. It's very important. Why? So we can comprehend Christ's love. Because what is it all about? It's all about the love of God working through the love of Jesus. Comprehend means to lay hold of, to seize with eagerness. I did a few men that way. <laughs> I laid hold of them, seized them with eagerness. The dictionary defines eagerness as ardent in desire or feeling, impatiently longing. Do you impatiently long to comprehend the love of Christ? Because we should. That's what Paul's praying for. We should pray for that. We should pray to comprehend the love of Jesus. Paul is praying that the Ephesians would comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of the love of Jesus, which surpasses knowledge. Surpasses knowledge means we cannot fully know or comprehend this love. We just can't grasp it this side of heaven. But we're going to be lavished with it for all eternity. But we need to keep... Um, using our efforts and getting into this word so that we can comprehend as much as is possible. In verse 19, Paul prays that they would not only comprehend but really know the love of Jesus. That means to understand the love of Jesus. And why does Paul want them to know and understand God's love? Because knowing his love changes everything. Knowing his love surpasses knowledge. Once again, I could not fully understand or grasp the gift of my Lexus until I got into it. And then I began to understand. And Paul is saying, I am praying that you would understand this love. Because when we know the love of God, we will be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's in verse 19. Filled up means fully supplied with the fullness of God. And the fullness of God means the plentitude of God's divine perfections. We're filled up with the plentitude of God's divine perfection. The dictionary defines plentitude as the state of being complete. Anybody remember the movie Jerry Maguire, 1996? I remember two quotes. One was Renee Zellweger said, you had me at hello. She said that after Jerry Maguire said, anybody remember? You complete me. 
and all of our hearts melted, that you would complete someone or that someone could complete you might be for some of us the epitome of true love. But here we see that knowing and comprehending Jesus' love does complete us. The best love story is God's love for you. The best love story is God sending Jesus to die for you. The best love story is that Jesus completes you. I think some of us have longed for a man and we've ruined ourselves to find one. I know I did. But I think it's actually a desire that God implanted into us that desire to be completed, to be known fully and yet fully loved. I think that's from God. That longing, that's from God. In fact, maybe now, even you're, you've been maybe married 30 years, 40 years, I don't know, and maybe you're still longing. Well, I'm, you know, my husband, I don't know, I'm going to stay with him, but whatever, dude. You still have that desire. I didn't get what I really wanted. I didn't get the prize. I didn't get the fairy tale. You got God. He's the perfect love story. If your husband isn't giving you what you need, I truly am sorry, but you can have everything and more that you need through God. His love for you fills you up. We will never be fulfilled apart from knowing the love of God through Jesus. He's everything we want, everything we are, everything we need. It's all found in the love of Jesus. Everything is all about Jesus. And verse 20 ends by telling us that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us. Do you want to know this love that we've been talking about? And do you want to grasp the magnificence of your salvation? God's able to answer your prayer and do more than you ever asked for or imagined, according to his power that makes you capable and able, that is in you. That's a promise. And verse 21 says, God, um, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. We should always be praising God for his magnificent love for us. It's time to destroy every single belief that contradicts what God's word tells us. In other words, it's time to replace every lie with this truth. God does love you. He wants you to permit him to permit his truth, permit his word, permit Jesus to take up full residence in your heart and mind so that you can sink your roots into his love and be strengthened by his love, firmly fixed and rooted in his love. Ask him to show you where every lie is. Ask him to help you believe every word that he says. His truth will set you free. I promise that he's able to do more than you, than you ever asked for or imagined according to the power that's at work within you. Today, I'm going to do a little bit of chapter 4. We're not going to keep going on long like we have done, but I'm going to continue with a few of the verses in chapter 4. <clears throat> Let me read uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I, therefore, 
the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. And with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is saying, because of this amazing mystery, because of the unfathomable riches of Christ, I want you to walk in a certain way. That is, to live a certain way in your daily life. And I want that to be in a manner worthy of your calling. Worthy means to live properly. Why do we walk in a certain way to be saved? No, because you are saved. Because you are saved, now you need to walk and to live your daily life in a way that represents the calling with which you've been called. Does that make sense? This isn't how we're saved. We're saved by Jesus, by grace through faith. But we are to live a certain way because we are saved. It's all about grace. Chapters 4 and 5 gives us lots of instructions on how to live. But keep in mind, I, I'll just reiterate and keep doing so, these instructions are on how to live because we are saved, not ways to be saved. Verse 2 says we're to walk, live out our daily life with all humility. We've given this definition several times in the prayer uh, lectures and in this, this lecture too. But humility is, I love this definition, the esteeming of yourself as small inasmuch as you are so. It's the correct estimate of yourself. Whew. Love that. We are to walk with gentleness. Gentleness is an attitude of the spirit. That means your inner being, where we accept God's dealings with us as good and do not dispute or resist them. I'll read that one again. Gentleness is an attitude of the spirit where we accept God's dealings with us as good and do not dispute or resist them. First Peter Chapter 3, verse 4 says, Women should not only adorn themselves with great hair and jewelry and dresses. And by the way, it doesn't say we shouldn't adorn ourselves with turquoise. And <laughs> no one in particular am I pointing out <laughs> as I stare at Linda Foreman. We both love turquoise, don't we? It's not saying you shouldn't do those things. It's saying we shouldn't only do those things. We are to also adorn ourselves in our hearts, that is our true selves, the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. I love that verse. That is just repeated. It's 1 Peter 3, 4. He's telling us to be gentle and that God considers that very precious. A heart that accepts God's dealings as good and does not dispute or resist them has an imperishable quality and is very precious in the sight of God. And that's specifically to women, not just men. Uh, Ephesians 4, chapter two, uh, verse 2 says, We're to walk with patience. Pa this is patient in circumstances. Um, not people. It's long-suffering. It's self-restraint before 
proceeding to action. It is that quality of a person who's able to avenge himself, yet restrains from doing so. This is in reference to people, whereas endurance involves circumstances. I think I've got that backwards there. God will strengthen us to attain patience. It's not all up to us. Colossians 1, 11, Colossians 1, 11, Paul prays for God to strengthen the Colossians with all power according to God's glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. So do you not, is patience not something that comes easily for you? Pray that God would give it to you as a gift. We can pray and God will give us what we need. Verse 2 continues and says, we, we are to walk showing forbearance to one another in love. Forbearance means to have patience in regards to the weaknesses and errors of another person. That really hurts. <laughs> Ouch. Forbearance means to have patience in regards to the weaknesses and errors of another person. Why would we do that? Because God is so patient with our weaknesses. Why would we not do so with others? Verse 3 says we're to be diligent, meaning to make every effort to do our best to preserve, meaning to keep safe, um, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we're to be diligent to, cre to keep this unity, to preserve it. I, I want to keep my marriage, I'm diligent to keep my marriage safe. When I spoke a lot more than I do now, I would travel a lot, and I just made it, I, I've always heard that if you consider something to be your greatest strength, if you don't protect that, it's, it instantly becomes your greatest weakness. And so I think Gary and, and myself being faithful in our marriage is our greatest strength, but because of that, I really work hard to protect that. I don't just go, yeah, we're fine. I don't need to do anything special. I got it. Well, I, I assume I don't got it, and so I don't look at men in the eye. I don't smile. I don't, you know, I wouldn't ever go to dinner or, or lunch or something like that with a man, so when I traveled, um, I just guarded that, and that's Paul is saying we should make sure that unity with each other is protected and preserved. Oh, gosh. The unity of the spirit means oneness in spirit. The opposite, the antonym of unity is division. The spirit always has unity with God. The trinity is always in unity with each other because they want the same thing, which is God's will. In the bond of peace, means that means that which bonds believers together which is the tranquility which arises from our reconciliation with God. So what he's saying is because we are all saved, because we all have peace with God, I need to make sure I maintain peace in my relationship with you. You have peace with God. Why would I not have peace with you? Jesus died so you could have peace with him, with God. Why would I not have peace with you? Who am I that I would not pursue peace? In fact, there's a scripture that just came to mind. Um, I don't remember the address, but it says, pursue peace with all men as far as it depends on you. That's very convicting. Ephesians 2.12 says that we're to remember who we were as believers. We talked about this last week. Unless we remember our former unworthiness, our nature, I don't think we can be humble and gentle 
and patient and show forbearance to others when they live in an unworthy manner. I'm not sure that's possible, really. I rewrote these verses 1 through 3 using all the definitions. I've just given you most of them, but I rewrote it just using the definitions as I've done before, and that's one of your handouts because I just love the way that it, it, it came across, and I think it's a powerful prayer that we can pray. Remember from the prayer lecture, and if you weren't there, 1 John 3, 22 says that if we ask anything according to God's will, it will receive that. Well, he's just telling us what his will is right here, that we're humble and gentle and patient and show forbearance. So if you want to, this is a great prayer to pray. And guess what? If you pray it, God is going to answer that if that's the sincere desire of your heart. So here's how it sounds rewritten with all the definitions, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Dear God, help me to live my life in a manner worthy of your divine call with which you've called me by having the correct estimate of myself, by considering myself small inasmuch as I am so. Help me to walk with gentleness, accepting all of your dealings with me as good, not disputing with you or resisting you. Lord, help me to walk with patience, restraining myself before I act. Even though I can avenge myself, let me not do so. Help me to walk showing forbearance to others, being patient with their weaknesses and errors. Let me, Lord, do this in love and be eager to make every effort to preserve and maintain the unity, the oneness of your spirit in the bond of peace, which is the tranquility which, ar which arises from my reconciliation with you. I just, I love those, those, those few verses right there. And then we have verses 4, 5, and 6, and it says, There is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who, over, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The word one here is mentioned seven times. And the definition is just what it is. It's one means there's just one. There's one body of Christ. That's you and me. There's not many. Just like I have one physical body, the church has one physical body. We are that body, you and I. We're going to talk more about that next week, and it's going to be so convicting. Each of us forms his body. There's one spirit. There's not many spirits. We have one hope of our calling meaning true believers are called by God, there's one calling. There's not many various callings. There's not many ways to God. There's only one way, and that way is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. There's one Lord. There's not many. There's not also Buddha. There's not also Muhammad. There's not also all the others. There's just one faith, the faith that Jesus Christ saves you. There's one baptism, meaning into the spirit, that you're immersed into the person of Christ. There's only one God, only one Father. He's over all, he's through all, and he's in all. We're going to stop there today. Can you believe it? I ended early. Um, the one thing I just am praying that you grasp, I've really prayed for y'all, that your heart and mind 
that God will give you eyes to hear and ear, I mean eyes to see and ears to hear the reality, the magnificence of your salvation. Is that coming across? I, I just pray that you are blown away. I know for weeks after I got that Lexus, I, I was literally kind of like in a daze just, and it was, it was regarding God. I, I did, this person that gave it to me actually did send a note through this salesman to say, um, it's, it's from a scripture in the Old Testament, um, everything we give is from God, something like that. I can't remember the exact address of it, but um, I really was caught up for several weeks and still am when I, when I stopped to ponder it, the magnificence of that gift. But we should be caught up with the magnificence of the gift of salvation. We, I've said this before, maybe last week or the week before, but you're not saved because at the age of five, your next door neighbor coincidentally invited you to vacation Bible school. And, you know, it, yeah, that, that may be the vehicle, but it's because of this magnificent mystery. Because God wrote your name in his book of life. He chose you specifically. And yes, it required your faith. And he doesn't want anyone to perish. It's, it's just too big a eat. It's just too much to grasp. And I, I just pray that you really, we, we should be so blown away by this magnificent salvation and by his unbelievable love. It's unfathomable. We should never have insecurity or lack of confidence or any, we don't lack anything in Christ. That is hitting me over and over and over again. Some of the different things happening in my family and just um, the love of Christ has sustained me. I really do have everything I need, whether I have a husband or, or a child, whether I do or do not have a husband or do or do not have a child or do or do not have money or do or do not have my health. I have Jesus, and that's enough. It doesn't mean it's not hard. Life is hard. But Jesus is enough for us. He's the everything we've always wanted, always dreamed of. It's him. It's him. We do have time. Do you have any questions or thoughts or input? Um, we have time to do that for a change. Yes, ma'am. That's right. Well, I feel much better about that, Linda. <laughs> you know, there's a scripture that says, clothe yourself with Christ. Linda and I prayed earlier. Clothe yourself with Christ. You know, yeah, clothe yourself with turquoise. <laughs> but we, we clothe ourselves with all of his righteousness. All these scriptures about being humble and gentle and patient and showing, that's, those are characteristics of God that Jesus manifested to us. And I'm going to clothe, when you clothe yourself with humility and gentleness and forbearance, you're not drab. You are dressed in Christ. You can be dressed fit to kill, as they say, but you can be dressed even on your deathbed. 
with not just a gray shirt, but gray skin, because you, you're passing on. You can, be clothed, you can be clothed with Christ. That's what my point is, that because of this magnificent salvation, you can display Christ until the very last breath you take, because it's magnificent. Yes, ma'am. I just want to say I really like Me too. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Sue? Did y'all, did y'all all hear Set your alarm at 3.20 every day to stop and pray the impossible prayer, Ephesians 3.20. God's able to do more than, I, than we ever asked for or imagined according to... Wow, I love that. That prayer, that very verse sustained me last week as I was praying for a family member. That's awesome. Miss Sue, did you have a comment or a question? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Doesn't she know? Sure, sure. Right, right. Wow. Wow. <laughs> well, your hair's gorgeous. Oh, yes, ma'am, Miss Karen. Did y'all all hear that? That her, How old is your grandson? Uh, so Karen's 18-year-old grandson was taught that, oh gosh, in college. So her grandson was taught that there is one God and that Muslims and Jews and Buddhists, all the different religions pray to that God, that one God, that we all have one God. You know, if that's true and you read those, the... You know, if you read all the different material from Buddhists or Muslims or whatever, and, and if that was true, if there was only one God, and so he's described in this Buddha, I don't even know what you call their material, but um, the Quran and the Bible, then he would be schizophrenic. I mean, it's not saying the same thing. He would just be a totally bipolar schizophrenic maniac.
Jesus. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right. The name that is above all names. Wow. You know, we really have it. Paul is talking about being in chains and being a prisoner. And in America, I don't think we have a clue what it's like to suffer for the Lord. I, I think it's coming. I hope we are all prepared to stand firm. Yes, Miss Amy. Did you have something? Good stuff, girl. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. I love that. Wow. Right. Right. That's right. That it is, isn't it amazing? Today I woke up thinking about James that says, um, without, let's see, faith and works and dead, what is that verse? <laughs> faith without works is dead. And, you know, that, that gets so mixed up for so many people. But after reading Ephesians and just, just letting it seep into my being, you cannot miss grace. It's impossible. You're not reading Ephesians if you miss that this is by grace, not by works. And so what James is saying is, if you are in me, if you've put your faith in this magnificent grace, um, you'll, you'll be living it out. It's not to be saved, but you'll, you will see works. It's like when a woman gets married, you'll see that she changes her name. You'll see that she starts living with her husband. You'll see that she stops seeing other men. That's because she's now married. We are now with Christ, and you, can, you should be able to see that. And if you don't, then it does make you question, then the faith was the faith sincere. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes. Yes, completely. 
That's right. That's right. And I've been studying the calling and uh, reading this book. It's way harder for me to read than what I should be reading. <laughs> each sentence would be timed. Wow. Because it's sort of written in that new English language. Yes. And I, you know, I'm slower. Anyway, talk about the calling and how it's so specific to you. Yes. That you don't want to miss your calling. Yes, exactly. And so if you're just dull to that, you don't pay attention to that, you don't care about that, then you have missed what God has created you for. Right. Besides just the relationship with you. Right. So, um, but it was so good today. Thank you. You're so welcome, Judy. Thank you. So we can recalculate and correct our actions. You know, Judy, based on what you said, um, next week, and we already are into chapter four, but it's about the body. It's because of the mystery, because of our salvation. We are one body. Christ is the head. And there are certain things that we're supposed to do because we are saved, not to be saved. And, and one of it is, what is your calling? What are your gifts? And there's, I'm going to give you all a spiritual gifts test if you want it. Um, and if, and you should note, I'll give it to you. You won't be here next week. I won't be here. Okay. Oh, that's so funny. I'm just wondering, do we want to pass that test out today so you would come next week knowing what your gift is? Let's do that. Okay. Did everybody get the handout for today? I'll, I'll get these. Who, who didn't get it today? Anybody need one for today? You got that? So... So for the next two weeks, girlies, for the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about how do we live out this salvation. Do this, don't do that, uh, be gentle, be, show forbearance. And so, and part of it is our gifts. And I'm not going to do a whole lesson on the gifts because of this test, but I, because I'm going to be mentioning it, I really would love for you to take this test figure out what your gifts are, and there's some great description on the first page of all the gifts that um, we have been given by Christ, and we're going to discuss that next week. But if you, if you do not know what your gift is, I just urge you, it'd be like having a Lexus and never driving it. I mean, what, what golly. <laughs> you know, we've got, it's very important to know what your gift is 
so that you can serve your part in the body of Christ. And we'll talk about the body of Christ next week. It's just so important that we each do our part. And I think that's why we're sick as a church, not literally Clearview Church, but as a church, the body of Christ all around the world, because we don't know what our gifts are and we're not building each other up. So, well, thank you.